Alright, it sounds like it's on jump. Yeah, I can hear myself through John's again. Tonight, we try to figure out just what the hell is going on at the WGA. Then, we continue our watch-through of Andor along with Ahsoka and discuss our hypothetical Star Wars writer's room. And maybe some DS9. All this coming up right now on The Writer Brothers. And welcome back to the Ryder Brothers, your Tuesday night home for everything pop culture, movies, games, shows, and books. Dahlia Lightwood says, yo, people, yo, Dahlia Lightwood, good to see you in the chat. I am, of course, your host, Petey York, joined, as always, by the ever-so-lovely Corion Witch-in-Residence, Mr. Skoglia Yoten, and trying to eventually get back to us, there he is, Mr. Pollo Zapatos. Well, we have got a lot to get into tonight. What the hell is going on at WGA? Okay, so to say Also, that, what does WGA stand for? So that's the Writer, Writers Guild of America, also known as the craziest people on the planet right now. Um, This all started with a fairly reasonable argument. A lot of the writers were starting to get very concerned that... AI was starting to take over writing in the writers' rooms in for various shows. And they were concerned that less writers were going to have jobs. And on top of that, they haven't had a contract in the modern era. So they, they still are getting money based on TV syndication levels. Not getting the appropriate money for streaming. So, so Oh, well... They did have a contract with streaming when streaming was still coming up. And they were like, guys, when we get big, you'll get big too. Right. Right. There, there were a couple of other pieces to this as well. Um, but uh, their major contracts haven't really been adjusted or adapted since the last time we had a major writer's outage. And there were some legitimate, um, you know, there were, were some very legitimate arguments that they had. Now, one of the sticking points on this appears to be the Writers Guild negotiation team is trying to put in a minimum number of writers you have uh, for a show, regardless of how big that show is. So, for example, a, a, a two-hour mini-movie would have to have like four writers in the writer's room regardless. A 16 you know, episode show would still have to have four writers kind of thing. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense, especially if some of those writers really don't have anything to do with the project. They weren't the creative force driving it. Now, the problem has become that the Writers Guild negotiation team and the general consensus of the very successful top writers are not seeing eye to eye on what constitutes an acceptable solution is really the best way to put it. A lot of the major writers want to get back to work. They're starting to see projects canceled because window, the window for getting these projects done is evaporating. 
this is going to be a massive problem for these writers because we've already seen, you know, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams losing contracts with Warner Brothers because, you know, um, the strike has gone on too long. Well, this is the biggest raise they've ever been offered to. And they're just like, it is. But but at the same time, at the same time, like, this is exactly what the studio said they were going to do, which is make the people suffer. I think, honestly, like, the studios have to suffer. Everybody at the top. The studios aren't going to suffer from this, though. Well, they will, though. No. It's weird because, because, look, look, what? This, this, we're, we've all been wondering, like, where did the good writers go? They weren't paid. They went and found other jobs. They probably left writing altogether because of how inappropriately they've been treated. Okay, but and here's so, the thing. They're still not going to come back, though, man. Look. Exactly, because, like, the studios aren't listening. The studios think they know better. This and isn't the just the studios. The, the, studio, the showrunners that are a part of the guild are now threatening to leave. Like, there's about yeah. 50 showrunners that are now going to leave and become independent. Meaning that the guild is about to lose all of it. Actually, I'm actually personally, so I'll give my two cents on all of this. I'm convinced that the guild has no more bargaining chips. I think that these revolutionaries overplayed their hand to the point where they now no longer have a viable solution. Except to get so crazy and unhinged and hope that, oh well, maybe if we go nuts at them and have screaming matches, they'll want to calm us down and appease our needs because that's what we had as kids growing up. No, John, John, I really need you to listen to this one. Yeah. This is less about what the the studios want and more about the guild's failure to listen to its own members. Because a great number of the guild have come forward and said, no, the current offer on the table is more than acceptable. So the the studios are actually meeting them most of the way. The only major sticking point still remaining is the minimum requirements on the writers' rooms. That is the current major sticking point. And honestly while I'm not a big fan of a lot of how the studios practice business, and I do think they do need a reckoning at some point, I'm going to be honest with you, the way they get reconciled, the way they lose is we get good, right? Every time somebody turns off the TV or turns off Netflix and turns on YouTube and watches awesome people like PD, like John, like Skogly, maybe me if you're really desperate... You're um, the one that's got the monetized channel. I don't know what you're talking about here. I, hum, hu, you know, humility you before be all. Yeah. Humility <laughs> before all. But um, honestly, though, that's that's what's going on. Is That's how you punish the studios. But the writers are in the position of punishing themselves right now. And that's what's, and, yeah. And look, I 100% like what's happening now is there is an option that the writers have that they they've labeled FICOR, which is a financial core. Basically they still pay their guild dues, but they do not work within the guild restrictions. Yeah. A large number of the major senior writers, the ones who are on the very popular shows are now starting to go that way. If that happens, the guild, the writers guild, the writers union 
will fall apart internally before this strike ends. And that is bad for everybody. Because at the end of the day, wherever you stand on unions, and I have some very strong opinions on it, when a union's back is broken, ultimately it's management, or in this case the studios, that will think they now have an open hand to do anything they want. And I think we can all agree on this panel. Nobody wants that. Right? So I think we can all agree. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the, the issue that it comes down to is, is the, the best unions are the ones that function on a policy first mindset, meaning that we're going to establish like a constitution or our, you know, articles of what our union stands for and what our in-game goal is. And so, first of all, you want to base that off of set standards that everyone agrees on. That's why rule of law continues to this day to be the most proven concept of government. And yes, a union is a type of governing system. It's a counter-government, but you need to make sure that it serves to the benefit of the people involved in the union. And that's the problem with the WGA right now, is it is failing to do that very purpose. This is why revolutionaries and radicals are terrible leaders. It is one thing for you to be hard-headed and, and dug in on personal opinions. If you like Star Wars The Last Jedi for whatever reason, and you are hard set on loving The Last Jedi, that's fine. That's okay. Where it no longer becomes okay is when you start poo-pooing on people who don't like The Last Jedi. And that's why these certain people, the guild leaders, are falling apart is because... They don't understand the value of compromise. They don't understand that you're not going to get all of your demands. That's never happened in the history of any union in the history of ever. Has that been a case except, except probably in Unidos. Unidos. Huh? The United States. Right. Right. But look how bloody that conflict was. How long? Sorry, John. I gotta gotta mute when you echo. We're gonna have to take. We're gonna play to the churn game and stick to it this time. Um, just having some minor technical issues, as happens when you do live productions. That's how we learn. Um, gotta love updates to the streaming software. Yeah, Ooh. I know. Yeah, I always love when they. My favorite is when they update your crap and they forget to tell you. It's like, oh, well, by the way, we changed everything. Um, or you know, when you're. Uh, auto company deletes your bank without your consent and then says you didn't pay on time uh that's another story for another time uh, my point is is that's why these that's the problem with the guild leadership is they don't understand that their constituents some people that we may or may not know and may have had on this particular channel have basically said that and the who demands are by many of us huh and who are beloved by many of us absolutely they have basically said that they're happy they're content as workers with the current uh uh resolution and now they're getting, being ignored by their leadership. And that's why the guild is starting to fall apart is because they're not listening to the people they're supposed to represent. And they Drew think Barrymore that, is like, I'm out. I'm writing shit for my show. And that's, and this Don't is care. the other thing, the guilds and the unions all together. And these, even this includes the studios. They're in a place where they need to reflect. You're back. I love freaking love fiber. Freaking fiber. Holy, crap. Holy crap. Outages that last 10 seconds. It's amazing. Okay. We're back. What was I saying? Okay, yeah, yeah. We're the back. studios, the unions, everything is in a state that needs massive reforms across the board. And I think that's really what everybody needs to do when they come to the table because we need to look at the fact that this year's Oscars 
independent film swept the board across Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Picture was not big studio-funded stuff. It was an independent film. Everything, everywhere, all at once was it was a small, low-budget movie from what I... Well, by comparison, I guess. I, I can't even remember what the budget was for that film, but it was not big. And then on top of that, we you, have... You movie... could have bought a decent truck with it. On top of that, we... We've got Oppenheimer swooping in, doing a movie entirely with practical effects about a very powerful historical event, and presenting it to us for $100 million. Oh, sorry. Anything Everywhere All at Once. $25 million budget. And it took Best Picture. There you go. That's where the the smart business is. Independent media. Where the magic spot is, money-wise, for a budget for a movie. I've always found independent media to be that sort of weird black sheep back in the day, like 20, 15, 20 years ago when I started getting into this shit. And it's like, I realized that might have been part of it on purpose, to make independent films so weird that your average consumer would want to stay away from it. Well, now, I mean, we're running a freaking television show from my house, and we're all connecting from different houses. And, And so, the game has changed. The environment has changed. The way we do storytelling has to change. You can't continue to rely on these big bloated budgets. And I actually watched, I can even add to more as to why Hollywood's outdated. Hannah and I just watched a movie last night. It's called the uh, Bama Sutra. Uh, Brahmastra. Brahmastra, uh, part one, which is Indian lore. If you haven't checked it out, it's on Disney+. Plus. Blows everything that Marvel has put to screen in the last 10 to 15 years out of the water. The effects did not feel cheesy whatsoever. They were very well done effects. The story was very good. The execution was not really my style personally. But I think it's a movie we should absolutely review on this channel as a result. I'll let you guys take the time to check it out. And if we can talk about it, maybe next week or the week after, we should. Because there's a lot of good stuff to take from it. Overall, I didn't hate it. There's just... There's certain aspects of Bollywood culture I find annoying, like dance numbers in the middle of music. Unless it's a musical, it's just not really for me. But I said All annoying. Bollywood movies are dancing. I know, musicals, and I said annoying. Not hatred. <laughs> not that I dislike it. That I think it's bad. I get it. Some people love it. Some people think it's a fantastic change. And you know what? Objectively Nemesis speaking, Nemesis really struggled with RRR. I was like, this is amazing. And he's like, what the hell are we watching? <laughs> yeah. No, it, like, you, you definitely need I'm a little like, assistance. Like this, I needed some some assistance watching it, and I had a good time. But but it's just it's part of their culture. And to be fair, from an objective standpoint, it is different. And it's just part of how they present films. And it doesn't negate from the story and from the characters and even though it was a dub, it was an impressively well-done dub because they got English speakers with actual accents, which I thought was yeah. a, also a cool way to do that, if you're not going to do subtitles. Um, catch up on some family real quick. Uh, looks like Daniel Larson's here. Good to see you. Dahlia Lightwood Daniel. says, I'll agree, most musicals are annoying. As a- Yeah, I mean, they can be. I love 1776, though. That's, that's my probably number one musical of choice, personally. Um, there are some musicals that are absolute classics and there are some that are real clunkers yeah daniel larson says bad form not bad quality right yes so story wise it doesn't need to be two hours and 40 minutes long they could have condensed some of it down even keeping some of the musical numbers and i will say this 
for a Bollywood production, it only had like what three or four songs out of a two and a half hour movie. So it's good. it's bearable. It's not like these guys obviously wanted to keep their culture, but they wanted to be taken more seriously on on the on the stage. Nemesis of Eden says RRR has grown on me, but yeah, it's crazy, and I did struggle with the song and dances. The brutality and craziness helped. Okay, good to know. RRR is another one I've wanted, or Triple R is another one I've wanted to check it's, out. It's too. crazy. It's yeah. a wild movie. Yeah. Dolly Lightwood says, I don't hate all musicals, but yeah, lots of them are just cheesy no matter the country. And that's also the point of the genre. The point of a musical is, that, like, that's what I was kind of enjoying about the Strange New Worlds musical. It was just they, they didn't stick the landing to me. I was like, nope, you guys should have gone balls to the wall, Klingon opera, death metal battle. But that's just, the whole point of it is, other countries, independent film, it's all competitive with Hollywood movies right now. And that's why that the studios need to change just as much. And I agree, John, that the whole point is that the unions do need to, but the problem is the WGA has now sucked its own power base out because they no longer have support from their members. And that's why they need to calm down. They need to accept the compromises for now and continue the fight more peaceably and, and just continue to work towards, because that's, as Corey Owen pointed out, yeah, they need more integration with YouTube commentators, you know, like us. We won't ever be paid to say nice things. That's not what we do. But anybody who wants us to review their content or become a spo- if, you, if you're interested in this channel possibly being a spokesperson for your network, we'll give you honesty. We'll give you truth. That's what we can guarantee all the time because that's all we ever deliver on the Writer Brothers. Um, At a negotiations table, everyone needs to walk away feeling screwed. <laughs> you got to be feeling screwed and well, feel like you got enough. That's what compromise is. Right? That's, that's it. Like, look, and I, I will say this out there to the, the companies. Like, look, you produce a good quality show. We'll sing its praises out there entirely. Silo is the greatest show ever made. Yeah. Like, if you don't the bring the quality and bring, you know, bring something wonderful to the table. Nope. I yeah I think we lost John. Um, and he's oh, back. there he is. Wonderful. Um, you know, uh, but like you know, if you bring that quality to the table, we'll sing his praises. If you don't, we will discuss why we like how we would go about fixing it. And you know that's that's what we do here, right? And uh, you know, I I like to think we do a pretty good job of that, right? I agree. I think we have some of the best commentary. But go ahead, John. Now that you've heard that we're not anti-union and that we're just simply speaking on the fact that the strike's gone on long enough, people are hungry, people want to go back to work, and people don't want to see the union smash, but I would like to see reform across the board that's been needed for, like, the last 30 or 40 years anyway. Well, I think it's funny. Okay, so, like, I... When it comes to this union stuff, like the biggest issue is like the majority of the news on it is not actually anything. Just like the news on anything, like we, if you find out about a car accident, like the majority of your emotion is derived from the orator. Like when the news broadcaster says, "Oh my God, this family of four was in an accident," you're like, "Oh my God, this family of four was in an accident." But when the newscaster says, "Yeah, this drunk ass was in an accident." <laughs> You don't care. And and that's what I mean is so like the way we take in the news is the way we feel about it. And so when it comes to things like unions fighting, I feel like not being a part of it literally is a, always going to mean that your opinion is third party. You don't know for sure because like one, are you reading the true notes 
and sentiments of these writers or are you reading what they're saying they're saying or they're saying so, their buddies are saying is it, it how many levels of separation from the direct comment are we and that's the part that i like really want to know more in terms of like like especially when it comes to the way the the studios operate like who is who's negotiating on behalf of the studios is it the ceo or is it his team of lawyers and same with the unions cuz like the last i heard like the last two union reps or union authorities whatever they are union gods um they are basically 100% corrupt because nobody decided to write in oversight you know the right. group responsible for giving us the matrix judge dread every dystopian everything and you didn't think maybe you need to regulate your leadership that, like you can't be like oh how did the studio take advantage of us oh why are our own people taking advantage of us oh we're not actually responsible for ourselves so that's why your union's failing don't be oh john you, you don't even the same goes for the studio because the studio isn't writing in solid requirements they're not writing in adaptive text that allows for them to manipulate pay based off of the changes of inflation and the growth of you know the business and the studio itself making more money so then the operator should probably make more money from making that a reality no nobody seems to write that text but everybody seems to write the same text oh why isn't it working it's like cause you didn't even know how it was working in the first place so like i i i'm not and i'm not coming to either of you guys saying like yeah you guys are wrong no i it, the strike should have never happened because the studio should have been in line with its operators absolutely it, there should have never been a fight where the studio it, it like again why isn't the studio writing in policy that reigns in the controls of its leadership especially leaders that don't benefit to the production in any way whatsoever they only benefit to marketing branding and acquisition of new titles so they're not doing anything beneficial to the base the structure of the company and what? now the company's failing because those are the highest paid agents it's like are you dumb or are you intentionally negligent and feigning ignorance so that you can continue to write off all of your fake earnings like the 1% of the 1% are responsible for none of their taxes and they lie all the time about their wages do you know who those people are the studio execs like bobby igor like well, hold on some of them can't be we're not his money and he's well, a on. scam artist on. and then everybody hold in the on we, we don't do defamation like, on this network so not let's defamation. make sure i truly believe well, what i'm saying well it's great that you believe what you're saying but without proof without proof without hard evidence without hard evidence you are required to say that this is what we suspect is going on okay the writer brothers does not believe allegedly yeah i 100 percent believe that he is just as scummy and scammy as the rest of the one percent at the top belief is irrelevant in the face of facts and hard data believe evidence of that is the result of disney since he took office yes they did see a giant sore when literally the only thing poor people can afford is a $20 movie but then he started upping the prices of all the movies and suddenly poor people can't afford it he started upping the price of Disneyland and suddenly poor people can't afford it and guess what 
There are no middle class. There's none. Literally the difference between 1% and 99% is 100,000 a year. The only people that can afford to go to Disneyland are people making more than 150,000 a year. And this idiot is in charge of all of our favorite IP. Like I'm, I'm tired of investors. I'm tired of the excuse it's for the investors because investors take some responsibility of your investment. So I know Corion, you got a quick thought, but I want to jump off of this point to make an, a, a quick valid point as, as to what John's saying here, because what I can add to it is what John is saying is exactly the reason why I reject things like corporate canon. It's the reason why that Disney Wars series stuff, to me, a lot of it's fan fiction because it's not good, but it also has nothing to do with improving the IP. It has everything to do with making Disney money. And that's why we've had bad decisions after bad decisions. It's because, you know, way back when KK's contract was signed, she put in a clause that she can't be removed except for criminal behavior, and even then, apparently, it's impossible to get her out of there. But it's it's all just the whole point of it is this is why as Corion says that YouTube channels and independent content and this is what we also need to be clear on people there's a lot of YouTubers out there that I, I do have some respect for still and that I try to to support and I understand that people make mistakes and are human but here is something that I'm going to make sure that you understand you the viewer whether you're watching this live now or whether you're watching this later we are against narrative pushing. I like I don't consider us influencers on this show. I, I know that we can influence and our opinions do resonate with a lot of people and they do like to hear what we say and that's okay. But here's the other thing. We also take information back. We also take in new perspectives and we consider other ideas. I like the term influencer because we aren't trying to get you to decide how you're supposed to think. We are also, we are simply trying to share ideas and keep the flow of information going and to also express, and most importantly for this network, we share in the love of stuff that we like personally. Because that's the point of fandom, is to share why you love it. Would you decide what other fans are and are not? Would you decide what is and is not? You're in the wrong. You suddenly go from being somebody that I would have respect for to somebody that I don't really want to listen to as much anymore because now you've 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 taken the, that overstep of sharing in your passion to now dictating that what I'm supposed to love that I'm supposed to love your passion the same way that is unacceptable and that is never going to be the case and then that that whole nonsense and we've had this for like this is a problem that's been going on for 20 40 50 ever since media became a thing it's always been influence push whether it's the government trying to push it whether it's the corporations trying to push influence whether it's disney whether it's any of the six corporations that currently own all of media it doesn't matter who's trying to push it the point is narrative pushing is wrong you well, don't get to decide people pushing it to the seven billion of us that's the dumbest, most ignorant, naive, negligent, arrogant style of leadership I've ever heard of. Like, what idiot invests in that leader? Apparently, lots of people for many time. Right? Because, well, and I can explain the psychology real quick, John. It's because certain leaders, they look, you know, all strong. And it's like, well, this, you know, Bob Iger's clearly a man of success. He's a CEO. He must know what he's talking about, right? 
No, no. As it turns out, a majority of CEOs kind of accidentaled their way into positions by knowing which butts to kiss. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we could go into with that, but my point overall is, on this show, and from the time, whether we have 350 subscribers or 350 million subscribers, we are never going to tell you how to think. Unless it's illegal, unless it's exploitation of any kind that's, that's like, very bad and damaging, we aren't going to tell you how to think. Ever. Honestly, for me, it's non-consensual. What do you mean? Well, and the age of consent is 25. <laughs> well, 18. My God. Well, okay, guys. So I think intellectual consent is 25. You shouldn't be putting 18-year-olds into any kind of contract. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's a whole other discussion that we can get into because I disagree, but I also think, but I also have solutions to that that I think you'd agree with, but we can talk about that later. So, Corey Owen, you've been patiently waiting, please. Yeah, so I, I will say, John, there were a lot of points you raised, and I do agree with a fair number of them. I think the biggest one being that, look, whenever a strike occurs... It, sh- it represents a failure to communicate both on the part of management and the part of the workers. Because it, it takes two people to try to communicate, and if both of them aren't on the same page, and after the same ultimate goal of trying to get back to work and trying to produce something quality that they can all be proud of, this is the result. Now, in this case, I do feel that... You know, and in this case specifically... I do feel that the studios have made an attempt to get everybody back to work and that it was a fairly reasonable attempt. Um, Now, this is me armchair quarterbacking. This is me reading the information based on what I am seeing from the requests, like from the latest deal that was published in The Wire. And they just published the, the facts of this is what one side was asking for. This is what the other side was offering. And... It seems to be there was really only one or two sticking points. And I don't think some of those sticking points were fair on the part of the WGA. Now, all that being said, I do think that what should happen under any reasonable circumstance is it should never have gotten to a strike. It should have been everybody sitting down and having a respectful discourse like we do here, where they try to sort out the best way to give everybody what they want without doing more damage than is absolutely required. Okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that, for example, um, you know, Disney isn't going to take, you know, isn't going to have to take a little bit on the chin and soar the writers, because obviously everybody's going to have to. But it also means that you know, everybody's got to be willing to wiggle. Everybody's got to be willing to give a little to get a little. And, you know, if you have to strike to get what you want, what you're attempting to do at that point is effectively hold labor hostage. Whether that labor is your own labor you're holding hostage or not, that's what you're doing. And I'm never a big fan of hostage taking unless it's absolutely the absolute last resort of the totally desperate. Which, and I think in this instance, it definitely is, but also at the same time, like... Well, there's another piece to this, though, John. Okay, sorry. We know for a fact, because, again, this has been reported in multiple sources, that the WGA is in the middle of a leadership change as well. And here's the problem, though. 
according to way the, the way the WGA charter is written, the previous WGA leadership has to approve all people up to be voted for for new leadership. So, for example, this would be the equivalent of the American president being able to pick his rival out of the Republican Party to run against. This is no way... No, 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 not to run against, Corion, to be elected president. It's basically the president picking their successor. Not, not just yeah, to run, not, not, just, not to be voted. Yeah, rival and successor. Because you just said that it's to all the nominees yeah. have to be nominated. So, like, yeah, you guys get to vote, but I get to pick who you get to vote for. Which is literally <laughs> the writing of tyranny. I don't know what that, that is. Well, actually, there, there is a group. There, there is a government that works that exact way. Russia. Communist China. Oh, yeah, Russia, too. Good one, Skogli. Yeah. That's my issue, though, is, like, none, all of these people are at fault. The whole, the whole thing is at fault for the same reason that, like, all of America is at fault for America's issues because, like, nobody's taking true onus of what they can take onus of. Like, Disney is trying to own every profitable studio ever because... Bobby Igor must have played Monopoly every single day of his entire life and never realized that's why his friends don't like hanging out with him. Because, like, Monopoly is the dumbest thing in the entire world. It's right up there with feudalism and tyranny. And for you to think that you are so smart that you can intellectually operate that many millions of dollars efficiently... And also, not, like, there's no learning. We've seen zero adaptation from Bob except bringing in more crazy. Like, it's only gotten worse. And so, like, to me, the question really is, is why aren't people telling Bob, we just want you out. We want an actual leader that is going to legitimately. I, I'd actually, oh, okay. I'd actually throw out there that that's just that's just re- that's just recycling that's just recycling the, the status quo though. Like that's just basically making Bob a scapegoat and failing to recognize that no, there's so many internal levels of Disney that are wrong and need to be fixed. Right, and that's what I'm saying is as I was going into is, is is you have to decentralize all of this, like. Just well, like the military, the American military's greatest Here's... effect is the fact that yes, there is a general of each branch, but then there's a general the of power each is base. an absolute. Yeah, yeah, guys. I, I've got base. a way to I've got a way to explain this to to everybody, especially uh, Bob Iger. And if if I could have the floor for a minute, because I know you know yeah, real Bob quick, Iger, I I'm sure is listening. To yes, this and I want right to I want to tee you up with Daniel Larson's comment. It's only dumb if the slaves wise up to and overthrow you. Otherwise, it's a free ride to wealth and power. Well, take it away. Hear me out, guys. I'm going to explain how to ethically have a monopoly. And hear me out on this. Bob, and I know you're listening, Bob, because, you know, I'm just that cool. And so is everyone else on this panel. You can have a monopoly by having a product that is so good and so well-built and so solid 
that anybody else who comes to the market is never going to compare to you, Bob. So instead of buying up your competition, if you just made amazing stuff and put everybody else looking like they're in the junior, you know, in the junior grades when you're, you know, in university, you'd have what you want. The trouble is that requires you to produce something that everybody wants, Bob. That yep, requires absolutely. quality. And with that, speaking of stuff that we want to see more of, let's get into our Andor discussion. We're going to probably have to tighten things up a little bit. So let's quickly, yeah, very let's quickly, very quickly go around the room with our non-spoiler overview of <laughs> Andor Episode 4. Again, loving this show. It takes a bit to get going, but it's nice to have, you know, actual, like, Star Wars that doesn't just center around the 10,000 religious zealots that we all hear so much about. Haven't seen a single lightsaber yet. I will be ecstatic if this whole series manages to go through one whole show, one whole season, one whole, every single frame, and if there's not one lightsaber, I'll be impressed. Now, real quick, why is that important to me? Because of the two reasons that we had lightsabers in Rogue One, and Solo especially was unnecessary. But Rogue One, eh, they had the Darth Vader hallway scene. That was all right, fine, cool, whatever. Man, did I hate when Darth Maul shows up in Solo. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen that movie. It's it's so just asinine. Because I feel like it's the movie reminding me, oh, that's that Han Solo. How could I be so stupid to forget what movie I was watching? Thank God there was a lightsaber to remind me. So I really hope we don't have a patronizing lightsaber moment. Uh, Daniel Larson says, spoiler, there are none. Yes! <laughs> yep, a Star Wars nice. property without a lightsaber. I knew they could do it. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, honestly, this uh, the series so far, it's slow, but it's solid. And you can tell it's building to something. And that's fair. I mean, look, I feel that it's been fairly slow, but I also feel it's been incredibly solid. You can make a good movie that is an action set piece that jumps to action set piece. You can give scenes time to breathe and events time to play out. And that's what I think this is doing. Look, when I say slow, I mean, it's not jumping, you know, like my heart isn't pounding the whole time, which is a reasonable thing to say. But what I am saying, too, is it gives itself time to breathe. This is the tortoise to Obi-Wan Kenobi's attempt to be the hare. And I like this approach for this style of story. I think it's a fantastic way to do this. I think it's playing out and letting it breathe and letting us feel for the characters. Because... I'm going to put this forward to you guys. And I want you to seriously think about this. Not including the actual canonical movies that really don't have time to build out all the characters that we see. Like we get Luke Han and Leia character development, but we don't get like Admiral Akbar character development, right? We don't get like Mon Mothma or even Lando Calrissian really character development. You know, we don't get Boba Fett character development. These series that are slightly longer formed than the movies have the time for character development. And we're getting like droid character development in this. We're getting, you know, like side characters that maybe are only part of the first 
you know, section of the story, character development here. And you care about them. And exactly. Because they're developed, we care about them. And that's the point. That's what they're doing right here. Okay? And, you know, you have to accept that. You have to accept that this is not the roller coaster ride. This is the, the swing of the century in, in the Disney, you know, in the Star Wars theme park. A great ride, and it gives you time to get your heart rate down so you're ready for the next piece. I think this is fantastic. If you read any of the Star Wars books, this is the one of those things that you can expect to see in the Star Wars books that you miss from the movies. So I'm very, very happy with the series so far. So, solid seven out of you still? Yeah. All right, John, go ahead real quick, and then we'll go to spoilers, and then we'll go to Ahsoka. Yeah, I, I'm definitely with Scogli. I don't think this show is slow. I, 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 by Corion's definition about heart pacing, I agree. Um, still at a disadvantage just listening. Um, noticing major contrast between, like, Star Trek and Star Wars, new Star Wars in terms of audio. Um, I... Do you notice how many noises are going on on the starships versus like Star part of the immersion? Wars, well, yeah, immersion, but yeah, yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was alluding to. Um, and in that regard, though, like I think Corio's a hundred percent right as well because like the amount of ambient sound a couple times. I've noticed that it's just time for you to resonate on the last sentence. Like, and, and they're actually like, this one actually has some witticisms and I love that. Like, I love when there is solid wit and brevity in the text while also, you know, being Star Wars. Like uh, to me, a, this is a hundred percent proof of concept for everything that I've been saying in terms of our like writer rooms that we've been starting to do. But like, if this had been Rogue One or teed up right before Rogue One, do you know how bad I would have felt during the events of Rogue One? Right. Yeah. Like how, like how much you would have cared? Yeah. I got the gravitas of Rogue One, but like... It would have been so much better. Yeah. It, it, and, and this is really like, this is what I think... Marvel was on to, but then somehow just didn't notice with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is like, Thor 2 sucked. But the lead-up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Thor 2 and the post of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like post-Thor 2 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., made me want to binge the rest of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to the point that I had caught up, like... 10 years ago. I don't remember when I caught up, but it was like season five, whereas Thor two came out in like season three or between. And I was like super about that. Yeah. John, sorry, I got to interrupt, but you've got some static noise that's now decided to accompany your, your audio when you talk. Uh, I'm not sure why what's causing that, but, but anyway, uh, I thought maybe it was me, but I don't think it was. Uh, if you listen closely to the, the music may have changed in the background to something a little more subtle. If anyone notices, let me know. If not, I'll just switch it back to what it normally is. So um, so to kind of carry on, um, I just want to put this out there. There is a Japanese concept in art called ma. And what that literally translates to is negative space. The idea is 
the emptiness of space is just as important as what you do in the space. It's like music too. You can't just be like all the time. You, it's it's like a conversation. Exactly, and you need time to absorb the conversation. And uh, there's a great example of this. If you guys have all, if you, any of you have played uh, the Zelda Breath of the Wild, um, there's a huge kind of prologue to it, and then you run out, and as you start getting into the world, you're just given this massive vista, and it hangs in this massive vista for a few seconds to the point where you wonder if you're actually going to get control from like or is or is it going to play a cutscene? and the idea is to give you a, a chance to breathe and take in everything that you've done yeah. so that you're ready to move on to the next section of the yeah. game all right spoilers are now authorized let's we're gonna have to kind of go quick on this one and then we'll get to ahsoka and then we'll do our writers but i don't know if we'll actually have time for ds9 because pop culture news dragged a little bit longer than expected but i mean that's that's just how popular things are right now and how serious it's getting with, with where what the future of Hollywood movie making could look like. Uh, but I'm going to catch up on some fan mail real quick. Daniel Larson says, Andor is the street-level Star Wars that Netflix Daredevil used to be. I have to agree with yeah. that assessment. That, that Netflix Daredevil, actually all those Netflix Marvel products were the best thing that Marvel ever had. And it the was Luke Cage stuff, yeah. Stupid that Disney just scrapped them. Uh, that was one of the dumbest decisions Disney ever made, along with many other dumb decisions that we can talk about at another time. Uh, Nemesis of Eden says, It's like how much more impactful would Black Widow's death have been had they released her solo movie way before instead of, like, a year later. Yeah, and I haven't even yeah. watched that movie. I'm not going to watch that movie. It didn't have my interest, and I... Just, it's, I, I watched Mahler's five-hour video on it, but I'm not going to watch the movie. <laughs> that Mahler's video is... Amazing. For you. And it'll <laughs> blow your mind how bad the movie actually uh, well, is. This is the funny John, thing about John, me. John, John, your audio is really bad now. It just got worse. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Um. um uh, so I was actually going to say that, uh, dude, Luthien's ship, man. I freaking love that ship. That is like the best like hero ship I have seen in a long time. It's the, the so thing simple. About the thing about Andor is, in Star Wars, there's always, in the production, there's always been, like, a clause that, like, it, it kind of needs to be for the kids. And your kids are not gonna like Andor. But the writing is so good. Like, there's this one conversation where he's like, I need you to cover for me, dude. And he's like, okay, this is how it goes. And the story that he lays out as to, like, he just, like, you're a piece of garbage kind of thing and this is the story and it's just like oh man and it's just it, it is so everything that's presented is compelling it makes sense it's not like oh we're doing this to like move this or whatever it's like oh this is interesting it's not like uh it's not like a, a pivot point or something that's like oh we're doing this because of just to move things along or it's a MacGuffin, or it's just like oh this is this is an interesting conversation, a really, really yeah. good character moment. That's, it's, I'm, I'm not used to that. Like e even, even in like the original Star Wars movies that are very, very, very good. The, the writing in this is just so far above that. It doesn't even compare. Uh, yeah, I don't know about you, Corion, but I thoroughly enjoyed the establishment of Imperial intelligence and, and, and like. There's a lot of parallels between what we see in this episode and some of the stuff that they do in the agent storyline in Star Wars The Old Republic, which if you uh, can stomach well, video okay. games and haven't played that story, 
Okay, first we we should. I, I demand that whenever we're referring to that uh, organization, we use air quotes for imperial intelligence because frankly <laughs> i've seen what they do and you know putting imperial and intelligence together uh, it, it, it's kind of dicey my friend uh but look man i i do like the idea of that i mean the isb initially showed up actually in rebels um but and you know the books before that in the eu but they didn't you know, really give them a whole lot of screen time, though, in Rebels. Like, they're just kind of mentioned, and then, like, this was actually, like, we could almost do a whole show about the inner workings of the of the, the political shadow government, and that, that could have been... Cause yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. Bro, no, how but, cool would a Law and Order awesome. you sound good, of the, the Empire be? Oh, dude, Law yeah. and Order, you know, you, well, okay... First, like what the, I want... That's the cool thing about Star Wars Universe is, like, Andor is proving that you can do this heist, live-action rebel thing. Borderline terrorism. Yeah. Without and a lightsaber. Terrorism, according to the Without government. force Without powers. But yeah, also, I'm sorry, that's what Mando violated. Mando broke those rules. Like, Mando was showing us what could, and then they're like, ah, back to the Jedi story. Andor is like, screw all of that. People. Well, this is about you. This is about the commoner. This is where you would be in life in the Star Wars universe if it was all real happening around you. I love the construction sites. Um, the yeah. the mining site. It, stuff like that is so cool. It's epic. That John, construction site is awesome. John, John please so read good. Daniel Larson's fan mail. Law and first order, dude. Daniel, I, you just got my life. Like, I would rather see law and first order be the entire justification of the night, like the other three movies, you know? Because, like, it turns out it was a conspiracy, them like, manipulating everything to be dumb. Oh, no, dude, it just turns out that, like, such just awesome enforcement of the law is all nanny state and it's super annoying and gross and that's all that the sequel trilogy tells us because like if you think about it like literally it was like we are the most annoying hall monitors in the galaxy and then princess leia was like god damn it and that was the whole sequel like it had nothing else there was no other story. Right. That's a good summary that. of the like, sequel trilogy. Guys, I, think I'm, I think I'm ready for this. Okay. Rather than being like, let's let this fester. Princess Leia was the only one in the entire trilogy that learned from their mistakes. You know? And like, if Law and First Order is Princess Leia being the judge watching the tyranny grow in the First Order. Yeah. All right. Okay. Guys. I'll give it to you. Guys, can I can I do... I've got it. Are yeah. you guys ready? In the Imperial Justice System, rebel-based offenses are considered especially heinous. In Coruscant, the dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad known as the ISB. These are their stories. Dun-dun! <laughs> 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 
yeah, yeah. Mix the mix mix <laughs> binary mix, sunset mix with the theme. That may end up having the to be where we pivot our hypothetical. You know what? Dick Wolf Shit. We might Star Warsing across the screen. I would pee. In my seat, so, like I couldn't get up. Yeah, like Dick Wolf, man. Guys, come on, man. I don't think you realize we, we may. I, I don't want to pivot our writers' room, but we may end up having to just do two simultaneous projects for that shit at the same time. Because here's the thing: Law and First Order, or whatever we want to call it, could very easily be a YouTube parody that the four of us could coordinate and put together. And actually have on our channel as part of, and it's a, it would be an entirely legally protected, copyright-free parody because parody law is basically one of the one of the few laws, along with fair, fair use, that cuts copyright use and it down. Is because well, it, it, yeah, no, I think we may need to cut that part out of the stream and actually make that a video because that could work, and that could. Very easily be another product we could put crank out on this network. And like, I think have you guys should... ever seen the 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 parody short Troops? Yes. Yeah, like that's the companion show, right? You you know, like I- I'm putting it together now. The Writer Brothers Star Wars Hour Troops, followed <laughs> by Law and Order Imperial Security Bureau Unit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think that's something we may we need to get to. But we uh, we are pressed for time, so to get to our writers, we need to quickly. Yeah. Quickly do Ahsoka non-spoiler overview. All right, for those of you that haven't seen it but just want to know our quick two cents, I should start cutting these into shorts. I don't know why I don't, because I'm lazy. Um, but I'm working on it. So, uh, Ahsoka, again, episode four. Nice that it was longer than 25 minutes. Uh, we got a lot that took place here. And again, this show is the best live action that Disney has managed to put to screen. It's quickly uh, filling in the shoes of its predecessor, Rebels, which by the end is one of the greatest. It's the best the Disney Wars product, in my opinion. What's the, huh? What's the, dark, what's the new Sith guy's name? Balin? Balin. Skull. Balin. This dude. Gangster, <sighs> yeah. man. Yeah. Like, this is bringing the dark back to dark side. Goodness. He's bigger yeah. time. All right, Coriolis, Skogli. The princesses suck. I don't care for any of them, and I'm glad they're dying fast. But Balin, that's a dude. Uh, like, and I just mean in terms of, like, actually Lex Luthor scary. Like, the way... Spoilers coming up. Yeah. So real quick, your guys' non-spoiler overview, then I gotta say something about it, and then we'll that get into the spoilers. That was my non-spoiler, because huh? that was my whole opinion of Cesar. Balin just stole the whole episode from me. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. Oh, he's winning a oh, lot man. of people over with that performance. Way it's sad that Ray died. Than everybody said he was gonna be. I'm so happy they were wrong. Yeah. So, I, I guess my piece is this. Guys, the original Star Wars was, was very heavily influenced by Kurosawa's work. Um, you know, those traditional samurai epics. This episode felt like it belonged in those epics. And as a fencer who has studied various sword fighting forms, I can honestly say they actually followed sword fighting forms for the first time 
since the prequel trilogy. Um, you know, and the only one that was following him in the prequel trilogy was Christopher Lee, for the record. But, um, no flips, no stupid nonsense, just actual quality sword jump, fighting. Use it. No, Sorry, never I turn your back on the enemy, I never bunny flips. hop. It's like my favorite thing. Are you kidding me? Nobody can do that. In well, that is, like, that is one of my favorite abilities in Jedi Outcast, is the jump over while swinging the lightsaber down and then landing. So doing the lights, the handless lightsaber sweep, swipe cartwheel is a good maneuver to have. But there is something to be said for the raw, just... I mean, the best lightsaber fight, hands down, is episode 6. That there, none have even come close to the emotional ramification, just the pure, just like, we are now in uh, irrational, I'm going to beat your ass territory, and the music that goes with it, you. it's, it's like, just, oh. yeah, it's so powerful. But, uh, dude, Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan Revenge of the Sith Anakin, has its the moments. The Betrayal of Brothers is the best ever. It's, to me, it is the most resonant. Like, I do get the fight with your father, but I feel like that was a generation before me. I just thought that's, that's legit. Brothers is way more in my generation. Battle of the Heroes. Oh, I think it's Betrayal of Brothers because I like, like both of them, neither of them could die to the other in that instance. And I feel like that would have been the truly like brotherly thing to do is just let it go, which would have, you know, ruined everything, the whole plot. But at the same time, like that's why I think it's a betrayal. Like they both betrayed each other in the sense that neither could get the other down despite them having been through so much together. And, and to me, it was not just brothers in, like, love, but brothers in war. Like, band of brothers. Because, like, the prequel trilogy yeah. truly showed us how Obi-Wan went from a young kid becoming a monk, like the nerd in Cobra Kai, uh, yeah, to, well. like, to, to Anakin literally being raised in yeah. warfare and it consuming him. Yeah, and I, I can understand and respect everyone's beat, but we'll have to save it for an actual more... Well, I mean, this is a yeah. Star Wars discussion, but more open-ended. Real quick, though, uh, Daniel Larson says, I love the original trilogy, but one time I almost teared up when Obi-Wan Kenobi said, you were my brother, Anakin. Yeah, that, that yeah. was a good sequence. But, yeah, yeah. look, all right, before we get into spoilers, I'm, I'm going to set the general discussion real quick because there is something that does need to be addressed, something stupid that came up on Twitter. Now, I'm not going to highlight any comments on this show. I don't like to give people attention who perpetuate negativity and just if it's stuff i don't agree with i don't only like i don't mind talking about it but if you guys want to find the tweets out there just search ahsoka and racism in twitter or on the internet yeah. and you will find all the numbers of the monumentally stupid discussions that are going on the stupid discussion that i'm of course talking about is some idiots are now trying to compare uh, the hatred that Riva got in Kenobi with the love that uh, Shin has been getting, and as though, like, oh, well, the treatment of these two characters is, is clearly... All right, all right, all right, you know what? It's over. There is no argument. You want to know why? The main character of the show is played by Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson has African, Cuban, Native American, and Irish... Uh, ancestry. There's one more that I'm free. Oh, Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican ancestry. 
You want to know what all five of those cultures have in common? They are some of the most oppressed cultures throughout human history. Rosario Dawson is basically a walking woke poster child, so to speak. Now, I don't agree with the woke ideology. I'm simply going based off of their stupid logic, or logic, as I prefer to put it, and just simply applying that. Based off of that, Rosario Dawson, the main character who is loved by the fan base and has been for years even when and she started rightfully so yeah absolutely this woman is just fun she she was definitely a plank of wood when she made her first debut in uh in the mandalorian which was to be expected because it was for first time in that role as that character and this character we hadn't seen since the end some, of rebels can i add something to that sure because the plank of wood now kind of justified she was hanging out with a mandalorian and she knew their culture so she was a stiff oh i don't think she's a plank of wood at all i think she just comes off more stoic now because she's older where you say she was like stiff plank of wood you're like actually no she was being stoic with the mandalorian culture because now we see her being soft and both apply perfectly like she shows the dynamic range of a human or of a person because she's not a human in this yeah. series. Daniel Larson says, Who's loving Shin? I've seen all I've seen is people dumping on all the ladies in this show. So I will go ahead and address that real quick. First of all, I think she's awesome. I think she's got a lot of potential for a character, provided she doesn't do anything stupid and try to betray Balin, who will just kick her ass if that happens. Um, I think that Sabine has been doing really well. Uh, the, the actor has done a great job of showing us a character who has obviously been missing her friend and it's taken its toll on her life. That's why she's out of practice with her lightsaber skills. She's out of practice with most everything, but she is still a Mandalorian. And we actually see the Sabine that we know and love from the show finally come forth in this episode. And then Ahsoka, uh, Dahlia Lightwood says it best. Rosario, Rosario is amazing. She looks great. Her acting has been great. I love the show. F the haters. I completely agree because, like I said, the whole concept of racism in the Star Wars fandom is nonsense. It doesn't even apply to this show whatsoever. I I think think there are racists that are fans of Star Wars, but for some reason people are focusing on that. And so, like, like... like, I get that, the, like, but there's racists that are fans of everything. Like, I guarantee you there are racists that are fans of your favorite thing. Because racists are people, too, and they also don't know what the freaking heck they're doing in this universe. Well, and as Daryl Davis, as Daryl Davis shows us and pointed out, it's like a lot of it is that people are taught and programmed a certain way, and most people can't actually be churned just by talking. I mean, that, well, that's... And, but, well, but, but, but... Let's all recognize that a lot of it is... There's the idiots media. in every fandom. Let's well, no, just no, call no. it idiots. Of it, a lot of it is the media. So, like, if the media is like, there's all these racists, and they name 10, but they can't find an 11th, let's assume it's 10. Well, that's just it, though, John. not being racist. The, the people... Most of us okay, so we need to clarify. We need to clarify here. The people on Twitter are not naming people specifically. They are exactly. simply saying bullshit, like, oh, oh. Oh, Reva was hated, but the Shin is not. Therefore, you're all a race. No, it's garbage. It's nonsense. We love Rosario, and Ahsoka's awesome. So, no argument. This isn't a, this isn't meant to be a discussion. This is meant to say that you have no discussion for for racism because there's only one human race. People are saying Shin isn't being hated. I literally opened with I hate all of Balin's apprentices. I'm glad they're dying. <laughs> well, so, I, I do I do want to get in right one up there with piece. Reva because like Reva, my beef with Reva A is. 
she is exactly what the Sith are, but then she wasn't. Like, she betrayed herself and everything that, the, like, she broke the rules, and you can't do that because that's a. It, it know, wasn't her role. fault. It was the writers. The writers exactly. of Kenobi exactly. Exactly. are the reason why that show because, sucked. Because in the first few episodes, I hated Reva because she was the exact definition of a Sith given authority over people. She nailed it. She was perfect. And I even said that in our yep. discussion. So it was when she betrayed herself that I hated it. And, and that's fair. And that's fair. Him. We're not, we're not, talking about, we're not talking about, Reeve, we're not talking about Reeve. We're not talking about Kenobi. We're still talking about Ahsoka. So Great. it's, so it's, Shin. I, I, is the same thing. The reason I don't like Shin is the actress is being a phenomenal teenage Sith. Like, I don't, I, I cannot figure out Star Wars ages because Luke is supposedly 12. Um, it, uh, Luke it, was 17, 18 in the trilogy, or was he in his 20s? No, he would have been in no, his 20s. No, he's the it, originally, I want to say he's like 16. Mm, no, because it would have to be, you'd have to be about 22 between the time he was born and between the time the Battle of Yavin begins. Or when he wins, or something like that, is what I felt like. Like, I want to say it was like the span of six years, which means he was 16. Right, according to official canon, 19 years old. He was 19 okay. in the movie. Okay, in that case, yeah. Game four. All right. But still, even then, like, I don't know how old Ahsoka is. One of you guys said she's almost uh, 45 is what she's supposed to be in this show. Yeah, but I feel like we're getting like a 20, 30, like a transitioning closer to 40, but not yet 40. But as far as like... That's also because Rosario just looks very young for her age. She's 44 years old, if you can believe that. I can't at all. <laughs> like, not even... Yeah, no, she looks poor. fantastic. It resides within us all, and some of us are more blessed than others, apparently. But, <laughs> okay, even then, I still, okay, no, in that case, like, this is like a very solid journeyman level teacher. Like, somebody who has been teaching enough, but is also still learning the full, like, grandmaster ropes of it, you know? Like, she's not a master, and she never claimed to be. Aside from being like the master of an apprentice. But in that instance, though, at the same time, like uh, the other one, I cannot remember their names. There's too many S's. Yeah. Sibin. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's, he's one let's, of my favorites. Yeah. Because she's like, but, I have the force, but I don't. And she's like right. working on it. I'm going to. And then. Okay. I'm going to finish off with. Dahlia's going to get the last word on this, and then we're going to get into our spoiler discussion, and that is Disney also needs to stop playing the racism card at this point. It's just driving fans away. This network, I'm going to say it, and if you guys are against it, go ahead and ignore it, but as far as I understand and am concerned, everybody on this panel believes that there is one human race. Well, we do have a variety of subspecies throughout our great uh, human race, and there's different kinds of genetic stuff that can also come into conflict. You know, we can't always breed perfectly through different ethnicities and it's just part of the way it is there's still only one variation is beautiful yeah i agree <laughs> diversity is is awesome um diversity is literally nature's attempt at creating something new and look at how awesome it has done I agree. All right, so back to Ahsoka. Time for our spoiler uh, discussion, and that is, uh, you mean, so, <laughs> pretty sure that she's got the map on her hand, probably a shout-out to Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the three Indiana Jones movies. 
And uh, so they're probably going to calculate it with that, maybe with some force magic or something. So they're definitely going to find their way to, to catch up. Whether or not they need a hyper ship or something, I don't know. They might just use the Pergale. Maybe that's the whole purpose of her getting they into the world be between worlds. Is yeah, they're gonna they're gonna ride space whales. Oh no, that's how they do. They get a space whale sleigh tied up to the ghost, and that's how they're that's how they're riding off to the to the to, to it's either a galaxy far 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 away or just a galaxy far away. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it's closer to the Milky Way or further away. I guess we'll figure that out maybe in in this week's show or, or whatever hey, i am Petey, looking forward to tonight's episode if but. she's in the world between worlds time and distance don't matter anymore for her yeah, dude, this is like the quantum realm in which like i mean i cannot think of a specific show but this is the ones where like rebels you can walk over to an entire other universe if Whereas you've got fans of if you got fans of castlevania the netflix series this is the infinite corridor, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes, that's that's a perfect example. I feel like Interstellar was a chaotic <laughs> example because, like, the black hole is in this instance. Like, when he's in the room where he's, like, tapping on the wall to his daughter, that's similar to where we're at in this in-between worlds, right? Like, he is cutting time and space but he's technically still absent time and space. It's pretty cool. I loved it. I like, yeah, I love, I've always loved, and I hate that like it's been getting played on too much. Like a really good chord is overplayed sometimes, but I love the forced ghost. I didn't expect to hear, see you so soon, Snips. Like I, Whole body goosebumps. Oh my god. I didn't expect that at all. Yeah. I, I was shocked. Well, I to me, I've always loved Hayden Christensen because I know why everybody hated him. And it's because he was a picture-perfect teenager. Like... Well, his acting know, wasn't super great as Anakin, but that was, was also his... If you think about it, he was a child doing his best... What are you talking in about? In the most beloved... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, he was not a child in episode two. At all. I, I mean, literally, like, debut career, basically. Yeah, like, also you're getting debut. electronic noise again. Well, sorry. I'll refresh. I'll be back. All right, see you in a minute. All right, all right. Uh, Daniel Larson says, I got it. Ahsoka and the World Between Worlds will go back in time and recapture the map from the planet where they she first... No time it. travel. Then please. use it to chase Balin, or maybe they use it use the per, uh, the Pergale. I probably she used to go both. back and help Sabine fight. So she goes Shen. back, steals the map, but then puts it back before she gets there. That could work. That would also keep it closed loop. So, which which actually my okay, my money's going to be on that the that we don't wind up okay that we don't need the ghost going forward if they have access to the world between worlds. No, they got to bring the ghosts into the, into the world between worlds. Like 
that ship I used to think was was ugly at first, but it grew on me, especially the second watch through. I'm like, this is like what the Millennium Falcon was supposed to be the whole time. And it's cool in its own right, because it's its own transport ship with a more practical and centered design, not you're going to have your cockpit way the hell over here and have to compensate driving mo- driving your ship that's, like, literally sitting next to you. And uh... Hey, PD, so compensating for, like, being at the side of your, your transport, like, you know, your truck? Eh, I'm sitting in the center close enough to it. Dude, you're literally sitting on one side. Of I'm the literally sitting out. Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting on one side, but I don't have my whole truck off to the left. I gotta watch out, you know, and hope that. No, hey, is I, that I, that I other side clear over there? I can't me. see. And my I whole my whole ship is a blind spot. That's yeah. what exactly. Exactly. are for, like, bro. I 100% agree with because like this is literally. Don't misunderstand. Like, the Millennium Falcon is cool too. Like this. But, yeah, when you consider the practical implications, like, I gotta give Filoni credit with the design of the ghost. It's functional. It makes sense. Bubbles. You actually sit out in front of the hall. You can see your wings, your flanks. You know where you're going. Uh, I don't know, man. Because their their sensor displays in Star Wars are trash. (laughs) And so are their binoculars. Here's the biggest thing. We all have to give George credit. Because George literally designed crafts that are so bad, it explains diversity. <laughs> like, the X-Wings are the most versatile, yet the Rebels have them. And the TIE Fighters are the worst in this, terms of, this like, is what, vision. Yeah, get two planks of so wood. It's obvious that a Monopoly tyranny would buy those because they're cheap. This is how you drive. This is how flying a Tie Fighter would be like in real life. But, like, but the difference—the difference though—is the Tie Fighter's the Tesla with a really good charge, and the X-wing is the A10. <laughs> like, yeah, it costs fuel, but it actually gets Ws. Well, then the other thing is the X-wing also has their own hyperdrive, whereas um, oh, Tie Fighters I, do not. Don't exactly. even shields. Like wow. no, but I mean, like, shout out to George for literally designing his ships so that his fans could define yeah. it based off of economics and the obvious decisions made by an enlarged empire. Yeah, Nemesis of Eden says the like, Millennium Falcon is like having a driver's seat of a motorcycle in the passenger car. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. It's like the, the See, guy, know, in, the guy I... in the sidecar is the one that's actually driving <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Uh. See, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, to me personally, nope. I, first, cockpits in general, like, windowed no. cockpits in general are the stupidest, stupidest idea in the spacecraft. The CIC for any spaceship should be in the middle of the damn thing. Like on Galactica. Or on, like, The Expanse, where they literally have, like, the oh, cockpit yeah. is its own separate box. Yeah, so it's in the top module. It has to be, like, the rest of the ship has to be a ring, and the cockpit has to be able to just up and down without caring so that it can literally ignore its peripheral. You want to know what my solution was? You know what my solution was instead? I just went with two bridges. One on the top, one on the bottom. There you go. You have all of your navigation figured out. So you have your landing slash supplemental bridge, and then you have your primary top navigation main bridge up at the top of a superstructure. But, yeah, check it out in my book if anyone cares. I I brought Um, mine because 
our eyeballs are the cockpits of our bodies, and they literally are the only free yeah. throated. And, and to build off what things. Nemesis is saying, drive if the the Millennium Falcon in, in the form of my truck, Coriode, would be like if I put a sidecar on my truck and I drove from that. That's basically what the Millennium Falcon is. Don't get me wrong; it's cool. It's a great. It's an awesome design. That's really. Uh, it was inspired by like fries and a burger and an olive being placed in a certain way. Oh, nice book you got there, Scogly. I'll have to That's sign a fantastic it for you sometime. Book, actually, yeah, yeah. There, you can see the ship. You see the superstructure on the front there. It's just on the top. Yeah, right, right there. Anyway, um, uh, Daniel Larson says this is why as cool as the Falcon will always be, the X-wing is better, as John basically said. All right, let's quickly let's let's get into our hypothetical writers' room for the next uh, twenty minutes, and then we'll s- speed run through DS Nine episode three and four. Um, so. For those of you that have been following us, we're trying a new thing. And by trying a new thing, this is just what we're doing, regardless of if it's popular or not, because we want to start actually coming up with original content. Now we have a parody project as a result. So trying a new thing, we mean we're getting good. Eventually, this will be a new thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So what we have is we've started where I should probably start writing these notes down, or we should probably, I should add both of you guys to the Google account so you guys can start working on it so we could actually make take these notes when we want to to actually put this together so what we came up with was a hypothetical star wars show about the first jedi and sith and i think what we were going to have is that it was probably going to you know we, we had so i had some crazy idea about it being born out of like multiple factions so then it gets you know corralled into one or two factions and yeah, i think that there's a better way to go about it than the idea i had um but the point of this is we want to take this stuff that we like out of Andor and Ahsoka and even on the other Star Wars properties we mentioned. And we want to get ideas out there that we want to see in future properties going forward. Now, we don't actually expect our project to be picked up by Disney, as great as that would be. Um, but we do what? hope that at the very least we encourage that they be, by highlighting, not just highlighting the stuff we like in Andor and Ahsoka, but putting it, putting the pieces of both of those things together into one idea that they could potentially take and realize that, okay, we do have stuff that we can salvage from Disney, so. Okay, I want to add two, two major things to that. So number one, Disney, this is a pitch deck. Like, this is the best we're ever going to do because you're a multi-billion dollar conglomerate and you don't have a guy. I've Googled it. I've tried to figure out how to submit pitch decks to Disney. It's really hard. I have no idea how to do it to this day. I don't know anybody in your corporation, so if... A lot of you it involves getting right shit on your nose. And you think, do these guys want to actually work here? Yes. This is our proof of concept. This is what we want to try to do based off what we've seen before. But then on number two, like, I think a lot of us are saying the same things, but with different words because we don't want to copy each other. And Disney is reading that as a bunch of people saying a bunch of things that don't line up. And that, I think, is another thing to do with this writer's room. Is, A, none of us believe the same things about the universe. All of us have our own relationships to what we believe, where we came from, how we got here, where we are, and who we are as individuals. And in that instance, Disney, this is a real-time audience desire for the future. So you can take this, you know, as a grain of salt... Or you can take this as a bunch of individuals, the four of us, educated in writing, educated in entertainment, and educated in your products, obviously more than you are, 
desiring a specific outcome that also is clearly general. We're not trying to restrict anybody. We're just trying to organize it. Yeah. So with that, um, I think one of the first things that we need is basically what Corion touched on in the Ahsoka discussion is that we need to plan on. So for this series, I think very basic sword fights and very just raw and unchoreographed fights are going to be the way to start this thing. Like somebody doing a jump over slice kill needs to be like a super rare game changing big deal event. Otherwise the fights, they're going to have to just be like even worse than episode four. If that's possible. Okay. Actually. Okay. Point. Onto, this is something I wanted to add to that so much real quick. Corion's talk about the, the coordinated, true on-the-ground sword fight, that is the epitome of an honorable warrior versus an honorable warrior, which is like the vision of light side versus dark side where they respect each other. And that's like the yin and yang of Star Wars. So whenever two opposite forces fight like that that is like we are gonna actually see who's better and that's an awesome entanglement but on your point parker what if because what we had talked about last time was like these two finding that like two people finding the force on an island right so what if the on the ground sword fights start out as just them going back to basic training so like it's two guys fist fight actually Skogli, hear me out on this because I think I've got this. I think I've got what you guys are going for. So we have our two castaways, if you will. They're on this. They're starting to learn the force. And one of the events I want to have happen is the blaster that they've been using to hunt food runs out of power. They don't have a way now to hunt. So they're going back through the archives you know, they're learning techniques and they've realized they can use their fists to project a little bit of force energy to fight with. Now, what they're going to do is we're going to borrow a page from, believe it or not, Chinese mythology. Because what's going to happen is they're going to realize this, but they've never actually fought before. So they're going to watch the animals in their environment and start copying the movements as in like for example the different types of kung fu and one of them is going to focus on a creature very similar to the crane style in kung fu that's very defensive the other one is going to be focusing on a creature like a tiger very fast attack ambush predator style movements And eventually they're going to come back together after studying these and go, hey, I figured out some stuff. And they're going to try it up against each other and realize that they're counterpoints to each other. And they're going to use them both to hunt and hunt successfully. And bring that back. And that's going to start the basis. And what we're going to do is we're going to start the basis for the lightsaber, the seven lightsaber forms based on seven animals that they see hunting and working in nature on this island. So they wind up developing the very basics of the seven forms of lightsaber combat based on a martial art they're developing. And and where does the sword come from? The older one watched their dad 
or father figure or even their both their families or just remembers that there was a sword version of tai chi in their culture so like he's just doing that as stretching and it's just for the stick because he has no sword yeah and then they start to combine it to each other so then like like you're saying all of these fighting combat styles just like kung fu in terms of like jujitsu as well like the idea of watching two dogs wrestle and realize that they're not trying to like kill each other but they are Force still judo. trying to dominate each other but also they can't jeopardize the pack by hurting each other so it has to be different and dogs figure it out so why can't we right judo too um but then if you add on top of there like the idea that just one of them is waking up every morning just doing these like sword swings that are like stretches and he does it with a stick because that's what the culture had and he talks regularly about performing it with a formal saber like their version of like a not necessarily like a holy item but a legitimate cultural item that they it was a cultural use. exercise exactly. they were only doing it just to to, to be healthy not because yeah, they and, and, needed to use it because at that point they've so got blasters like why, why would they need to well that's why i touch on tai chi because tai chi is perfectly universally applied you can be whatever religion you are and still do tai chi and benefit from it so like if we yeah. invent a star wars tai chi with a sword or a saber and then like these kids are trying to mimic it and create it but at the same time they're also trying to learn hunting and combat and war and fighting nature to eat and survive but then also and this to me i think is where it needs to be the most important because this is like what star wars was always about which is iron sharpens iron the practice you try to sneak up on me and we'll see if your defensive technique is as good as you think you try to attack me and see if your aggression is as good as you think and they just keep sharpening each other and all we're watching is a literal power escalation and to me like all the like big that they do is because like their relationship with the force is so natural that they are the original Darth Plagueis like they were the myth that Darth Plagueis mythologized like two people did get it right and they were also enemies but they weren't enemies it was always yin yang they were always best friends forever and we watched that just like and we watch how they compete because they're actually trying to win together like i i think uh good omens would be an amazing uh a reference to bounce off of amazon prime series good omens they do that where it's angel and demon teaming up to stop the end of the world and this is where it's a lot of that like yeah. dark and that like benevolent light and the two trying to work together because they actually care about each other and we see what that looks like and that's seen it is, is, i don't like well, it no, I, I think we can do it better like right and better, i just no, i don't i don't even want to go with better i would rather let's just let's like i like the i like the start of where this idea is but i think we need to go a step further we need to go different 
we need to go like like a little bit more of an in-depth origin story. Like these mechanics that you guys are talking about are good, but I'm starting to think that what if instead of what if we do it like so so Star Wars likes to claim that it's, that it's poetry, and I can see the argument there. I'm not entirely convinced, but I could also see like where where it works in, and but even in a general sense, life oh, everything's dude, I connected. Would consider it I, I a think very solid American attempt at poetry. I, I think that I think that what it should do, what we should do, is start with. Like, I like what Corion is saying, having a blaster for hunting, that's a good premise. But I think it should be an entire group of people that are trying to, that basically come up with the new fighting style. And then what we have out of that is the, oh, you're just holding me back from learning the real stuff. And that's where we have the split is like, it starts with, okay, a group of well-reasoned individuals that were learning new powers and that were creating, like, the first actual Jedi Order. That way, the first fall of the Jedi is, in fact, a Jedi themselves that was jealous of, of what, thinking they weren't getting the proper training and attunement. And we could even have it be somebody who might have a higher talent. We could literally kind of have, like, a mirrored Anakin Skywalker moment where it's somebody that's like, no, I've got so much power, I can learn stuff. But the Masters are, like, concerned about you learning so quickly because they don't know. And it's all out of fear of the unknown. It has nothing to do with, oh, you might fall to the dark side. We don't even know that there's a dark side. It's literally exactly. just fear of the unknown. And that's what starts the first Jedi and Sith conflict. But I think it should be, like, oh, groups so of people... Not the, so good. Yeah, not just two brothers helping out, but two brothers are part of it, but like five or six different people that all learn different techniques and they're slowly learning in the force and then that's what they end up training each well, other on. I, I think we start it with the two brothers. And then I think what we get is once they've got a little bit of knowledge, just enough knowledge, and they're they're at the point where they're beyond regular survival, they're starting to look at building a life we have a second ship crash. And that brings on a group of people. And that, and the, you know, our brothers find this group of people there and they go, look, we've been surviving here for a, over a year now. We'll help you. We'll oh, die. The you. planet that they crash on, by the way, is Tython. Um, oh, cool. Oh, oh, on top of that, on top of all of this, the adults and the kids. So these two brothers are still young. Right? And so they maintain distance. And so they approach peers, right? The children. But then when they meet the adults, the adults are like, no, we know what to do. And the kids, are like the brothers, are like, you guys have no idea what to do. And so the adults try to trap the kids as if they're natives because they basically look native. And that's when we start to see the escalation of the force mm. against regular society to some degree. But then we also get the first followers. Like, maybe some of the kids, like, like maybe it's like, not all of the adults are the parents of the kids. It's some survivors, some of them well, are kids. What I, what I like about, parents, some of them are adults. I'd actually not go a step further and, and, and tease conflict, but then it ends up like everybody ends up working together at first. And so we actually yeah. delay it oh. until somebody else Season comes two. along. <laughs> They're starting. So, so, the, so here's what I'm thinking. We start with those two and they start teaching each other, right? 
Then a, another group of people shows up or whatever. They crash or whatever. And then they start, they realize, oh, you guys have powers too. But everybody's level's different. Each person's discovering a new power. And that's what they're doing is they're training each other on these new abilities that they find. Then the caveat comes in. And the caveat is somebody who is quickly able to learn all of these powers and quickly starts discovering all these other powers. And that's when, like, like the masters or the overseers, the adults are like, okay, you need to slow down because we have no idea what's going to happen. But then the other person's, like, getting antsy, like, no, no, I can figure and all this man. out. I can do it. I can control it. And then that's when we start learning. Oh, Worst thing ever happened. They're all rescued and returned home. That could work too. Yeah. So everybody that has powers has powers. Everybody that belongs together, none of them are where they belong anymore because they were sent to where they were supposed to be originally. But with all of these changes, and now the infection starts. Oh, dude, I got it. Here's what happens. A after everyone has started getting powers and everyone is starting training and things are going along, a rescue ship arrives... And the group decides after the rescue ship comes down and they're on board the ship. Guys, we need to go back and study this. So they get the gear they need to found a small colony and Some intentionally do. head back to the planet. Some do. And that's the difference is we get some, the main characters, going back to stay, actually start an outpost. They actually even get funding because the rescue ship is all about that independent individual research stuff, starting your own colony, you know, get your 40 acres. But then at the same time, the ones that were on the crash ship that never intended to be there, and they've only been there for like six months, including Parker's character, the super learner, who's actually like way too privileged. Yeah. So right. He's just an ass. John, John you got to cycle Get again. sent home. Gotta, gotta reboot you. Yeah, sorry. You're cutting out with more electronic interference. So, what I do want to, to add to that, though, real quick, and probably wait for him to come back, though, is I realized what I said is... I just realized the multi-faction Jedi Force user thing is an inevitability for this story. It's gonna have to be that way. So, it's gonna end up having to come down to that, yes, there's a dark side and light side. They end up having to condense it down because... As what you're suggesting, John, is when they go off and disperse into the back into the galaxy, the ones that don't return, they're not necessarily going to create Sith. They're just going to create their own things, and that's what's going to happen. And so that's where we we could we could actually end up having this this. Okay, we need to make it easier for people to understand the light path and dark path. And so that's why the first group of Jedi that build the first loot lightsaber they end up coming up with the two faction system. To, to mitigate any confusion because that's just how it but, naturally goes with religion. You're going to have different interpretations. Out, what if it starts out not as a light side, dark side, but as a duopoly that slowly grows into two opposing forces? Because, like, it starts out as, well, like, these two th brothers that are like, you need to get the warriors in check. Well, you need to get the healers to stop doing weird necromancy. Well, that's stuff. getting like super so deep they're into like, it later. They're, well, so like because like instead of like automatically starting out with the light side and dark side, no, it doesn't start that way. That no, seen, right, 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 that's right, what right. I'm saying is right, that so, each faction's going to have some weird, distorted version of Jedi Sith 
ideas and each of them are no, going to be so different by the time that they're they, found what if it's way closer to you know like normal history human history in the sense that like they're not distorted so much as like every time it works out okay what works but every out? time it doesn't like any force power so like Force lightning is awesome when you're powering generators and healing a city, lightning for a show, some pageantry, dope. Lightning somebody, you're a black witch murderer, right? So like one society sees lightning as black witch, one society sees it you know as what we're pageantry. And we keep seeing that with each force power. A witch is hunt? Like, no, you know not, what we're no, going to need? Not a witch hunt. Some of them are using, it's literally the definition of, you know, like magic, use it for wrong. You're a bad person. Use it for good. You're a good person. And that's where we really start to understand the true dichotomy of the light side versus dark side. It was always about what you do with what you can do. Because technically you can do it all. Well, that's why I love Jedi Knight. At some point, at some point, like when you guys are talking about, like down the road point, we need a council of Nikea. We need a point where all the... That's what I'm saying. Here's here's how you do it, too. Here's how you absolutely do it. Enough Force users start showing up that the government is seriously considering starting to regulate Force power. And many governments already have. Right. And they all get together at one point to say, we're going to regulate ourselves so you don't have to. And they have this council meeting with every Force user they possibly can on, like, Jadoon and go... Guys, we're going to sit down, we're going to sort out what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable, blah, blah, blah. And what winds up happening is the schism occurs because there's a disagreement on what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And one group, after this arguing and debate, stands up and walks out and goes, you know what? We're sick of this argument. We're sick of this discussion. We're leaving. One small segment gets up and leaves right but then slowly more people follow them yeah and that's where we really start to see where we're at with the force but it's still like the rules are dumb like the rules are still human like they haven't limited force abilities they haven't regulated emotions they haven't regulated psychopaths from sociopaths from impasse from like because like that's something that wasn't very clearly discussed in the prequel trilogy but was hinted at like one of the reasons why anakin wasn't allowed to be trained was because he was too old which again shout out to george lucas nowadays we find out if you're over seven years old that's almost too late to stop psychoism or socioism right so the fact that you know George Lucas wrote well, it's that like any religion, you gotta get that. them young. Yeah, well, not every religion is like that, though, Scogley. I could have a good no, no, discussion the corrupt ones that. are, but that's a discussion for well, the rogue council. But then, but young more in terms of not yet destroyed by the world, too young to have an actual negative foundation, and that, like, apparently, according to modern psychology for humans, that's seven years old, and. In this instance, the there's no way that any of the Council of Nicaea, Jedi Council of Nicaea, would have that level of research. They haven't banded together yet. So I think the schism, Corion, it shouldn't be 
the rules. It should be the rule bearers. One yeah. group is like, no, we should be autonomous groups, covens that take care of the covens and deal with our business internally. And the other's like, no, we should be a federal like group, a- an actual nation state within the galaxy. And that is the schism. They're like, no, we want autonomy, especially because you don't know what it's like to live on our planet. And like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll learn. And that's the argument we start to find. And then we see, because I, I don't want either side to be right. No, and that's that's the really important obviously equally right and wrong. Jonathan G94 says Ahsoka Chapter 5 was fantastic. Well, spoilers, now I have my expectations set high. (laughs) We appreciate the enthusiasm. Please keep it contained to that or, well, you know, the hammer comes down until Ahsoka's over. Jonathan, we love that. Please don't spoil. You did an amazing job. We don't want to ban people, but uh, if you you spoil a show that's currently running, you get the hammer until the show's over. Um... Nemesis of Eden says, are you saying you don't want Lord of the Flies style situation with force users? I'm not opposed to that, but it's just, it's, I'm not opposed to elements of that. And I think that's what we're trying to do with this idea is that we need to flesh out what our foundations are. We got a lot to, to, uh, to think about. Jonathan G, of course, no spoilers. Thank you, Jonathan G. You are why the human race is great. Um, and, And I think Lord of the Flies is awesome, but what if we combine adults and, and like all the age ranges what but we, can... we also still have all of their education involved in well, so it's not so much a Lord of the Flies with a complete lack of order or any inspiration for order because Lord of the yeah. Flies, they literally had no understanding of order, but we add a little bit spice, So, but after a couple so, of... So yeah, so we, we got some things to think about for our writers when we get back into session next week uh, with this, but it sounds like we got a lot to anticipate for, with the Soka 5 coming in, but let's quickly, because I don't want to sit on it any longer, let's go ahead and quickly go through two our latest two episodes of DS9 that we're supposed to watch, and that was, of course, The Visitor and The Hippocratic Oath. So I'm not even going to read the synopsis because it's it's these episodes are actually kind of straightforward. I don't think there's a whole lot of philosophy to take out of them. That's also kind of why I want to get past them. Um, I mean, there is in the second episode. The, the Visitor is one of the best episodes of Star Trek that has been written. I personally find it to be rather overrated by the fan base in a lot of ways because it, it it's it's good, but it's like there's lots of better episodes that come later. And for me, a lot of more emotionally hard hitting because. At the end of the episode, we get the reset button fixed. So it's like, yeah, it's sad, but it's also like, it's a it one-off ripped away it's, from it's, you. It's a at contained, the end. yeah, it's yeah. a contained story. And so once, it's it's like with Ben's death in Scrubs. Like I get that it's really sad, and it is, and the way they build it up and do that episode is great. But when you've seen it once and you know it's coming, I really, I really like how Cisco walks away with with the full knowledge. Well. Well, yeah mostly like from his perspective he like understands what happened it's like kind of like a picard situation and well yeah. picard many times he like gets this extra life of insight and that's yeah, it, it's like Cisco. the inner light uh the one where he, it, he winds up living on russica or whatever yeah 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 he gets yeah. this whole other life of insight as yeah. to like the character of his so, son and yeah. all this. So stuff first time, really cool. first time viewer, why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts on DS9's The Bitters? That are one of the most highly acclaimed, both from critics and fans everywhere. Uh, one of the considered one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek, in starring general. the legendary Tony Todd, one of his Ken best yeah. roles too. Yeah. Uh, 
I think he nailed it when he said, like, I hate reset buttons, man. Like, if Lord, or not Lord of the Rings, if Game of Thrones taught us anything, it's kill your darlings. Because the pain that it causes is literal scar tissue. Now I have to continue this. You're going to write about war, show the consequences. It's worth it. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't like reset buttons, but I did like the second episode, mostly because, like, one of the things I've been really disappointed with after learning about the military and also learning about how easy it is to access military records on, you know, uniform orders and, you know, talking to each other orders and, you know, basic just decorum. And the fact that, like, almost no shows are anywhere near accurate, just it pisses me off because you're paid. Like, I get it when everybody else doesn't understand the military, but you're paid to write a military thing. You should understand military decorum better than the rest. And finally, like that second episode, Hippocratic Oath. All right, Hippocratic Oath. Let's go into that one then. Yeah, yeah. For me, that was the bigger one. Because it started so mundane and never actually got that intense like i obviously we know these characters are going to survive there's two main characters on the planet the odds of their survival is a hundred percent um at least as far as i can tell and so in that instance i want to see these characters challenge each other and i've never seen uh bashir and o'brien challenge each other like that because finally we've seen an officer versus an enlisted. O'Brien's a A freaking salt dog. He's been in the service ever since the service existed. He is literally the backbone. (laughs) Like in the Marines, we used to say NCOs are the backbone of the Marine Corps. And it's exactly like O'Brien is. O'Brien is 100% the guy... Not paid, but definitely ordered to do all of the main important regulatory stuff that the officers are technically supposed to do, but actually never get taught and never held to do. It's always the sergeant's job because shit rolls downhill. Uh, I was actually going to go with, you ever notice how the most senior sergeant inevitably gets paired with the most junior second idiot? Or, sorry, second lieutenant or junior grade lieutenant. You ever notice that? <laughs> There's a reason Just why. Just an idealist who hasn't seen shit. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to say that's a, a literary trope. No. Because it's a real trope. That's a fact. <laughs> As somebody who suffered that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I have taught more people how to do my job that I was supposed to look up to. Yeah. Now, Hippocratic Oath... Lower than me. Hi- Hippocratic Oath has a lot of good going in it. Between, yes, what we see, O'Brien, the seasoned NCO who's had combat, he knows what warfighters are. He knows that the Jemadar are basically like Cardassians, but even dumber in that they're just fighting machines. They don't have conscience. And that's where we see the, the contrast to the young idealist Bashir who is also, you know, to his credit, a man of his convictions and that do no harm and that an obligation exists well, to try and help a sentient species survive and cut themselves off. Th- 
And this so, episode is required watching for like fully understanding the Jemadar. That and is just true. Star Trek in general. But but on top of that, this is again, so I, I was just shouting out their military decorum and their ability to actually understand that, but this is the same in terms, I don't know if you guys read American Sniper by Chris Kyle, Rip, but one of the things he said, and, and this is, you know, this is a little immature, so watch your ears, but one of the things he said when he was uh, putting bodies on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan as a sniper, and these people wouldn't die with a, a, a large caliber round through the dome or even through the heart or through the leg or any of that. They wouldn't go down. And he explained it very clearly. These people would take hospitals, do a bunch of opium, do a bunch of crack, do as many drugs as they could, and then they would go fight America. And the Jim Hadar are literally drug addicts. Like, that's the amount of, like, realism actually written into Star Trek is, it's, A, again, proof of concept, that that's what you're supposed to do, and B, it, it why it stands the test of time. You can have really terrible outfits where people are always wearing turtlenecks, and nobody looks as attractive as they should. But you can watch it in 2023 and go, none of this is wrong. And that's the, the awesome. uniforms get and better in season five. Doesn't apply lately. I, I promise. The, the 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 yeah. Personally, I found this particular uniform style that they use on this show and in, in Voyager to be one of the worst that the Trek came up with. Um, I, I personally prefer the T and G style better. Again. Yo, G jumpsuit. Agreed with the modern day military uniforms and every military uniform in history. As somebody who's worn all the variants that we have available to us today, none of them are comfy and none of them are flattering. Well, that's the that is the one difference. That's why they don't change into like combat gear or anything, is because it is described in the show that the the uniform in Starfleet is designed as a tempered temperament. Uh, garment that can adjust to the climate, and that it basically it, it's mm-hmm. it's apparently one of the most comfortable things to wear. But in season season five, they finally roll out the best but, version of the uni- Star Trek uniform, in my opinion. It is still perfect in line with American military. Like as far yeah. as what, what gets me about it, the Star Trek never... uniform is those boots. <laughs> Bro, what are you talking? Turtlenecks. Like, I get that space is cold. Except that it's an atmosphere-controlled spaceship. Corion, can you pull up the... Can you pull up the the gray top uniforms, which I think are the sharpest for the 24th century? Yeah. um... Um, We're going to pull that up real quick, but uh, we are now down to the last five minutes. So, John, before we conclude this topic, I do want to go through. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Jonathan G94, expressing your enthusiasm, but no spoiling. Uh, Nemesis of Eden, Dahlia Lightwood, always good to see you as well. Daniel Larson, also great to see you. Glad you keep coming back, both for our game streams and our podcast, to contribute discussion. Um, and I believe that's everybody else that, that commented. If I missed you, I apologize. But I also want to say thank you to our lurkers. Thank you to those of you who rewatch, those of you who like, share, subscribe. It helps us grow. Um, yeah, we, we want to keep growing on YouTube. We want to keep. What's up? Before we explode. 
before we become the giantest channel of all time, if our current lurkers and our current commenters want to decide on their various titles, yeah, it's up. Submit them to at the or the writer brothers at gmail.com. Yeah. So John, this is what we actually have to look forward to come season five. Uh, like I said, this is personally Again, my. It, it it's perfectly in line with the military. Not attractive. I disagree. I think it's freaking sharp. I uh, think the best uniforms are Klingon military uniforms. Of course. Sorry, that's how I feel. <laughs> if you're gonna go into if you're gonna go into combat, man, I'm totally down with looking like a heavy metal rocker that came uh, back. From that's the why day. I like in in Star Trek Online in the 25th century, everybody has personal shields, so you can basically go into battle naked if you want to, and it wouldn't make a difference. It would make a difference if you're wearing armor. Well, it makes make a difference if you're wearing armor if your shield fails, I mean, but if your shield goes I mean, down, you can get vaporized by an energy weapon. As far as, like, you know, like, science fiction uniforms go, Mass Effects is by far the best. I'll have to yeah, check so them out fact, when, they, when I get oh, there. Oh, dude, the fact that your armor, your, like, suit is in your shoulders, so when you go into an inhospitable zone, that's when your collars turn into a suit, but when you're not, you're in this, like, pretty standard Star Trek uniform. But, yeah. like, rather than your, like, shoulders just being rank, they're actually also your suit. Daniel Larson like, says, Daniel Larson says, nothing sexier than Hera's orange jumpsuit, or at least when Hera is wearing it. Hey, fair point. Well, like, Samus, Samus also, way more attractive for functional uniform. I, I, that's the best space suit ever. Uh-huh. I, I love the UNSC. That one is way more like, what is know, this? a t-shirt. Is this the Mass Effect uniform? Yeah. Ah. So, yeah. The, uh, the Mass I, I Effect uniform good. includes, like, these pauldrons here. Uh, basically expand out to be, like, form the suit. Like a spacesuit when needed. Yep. Nice. Cool. So it, it's what you were saying, Parker, with the, uh, the Star Trek uniforms being multi-discipline. Like, Same with theirs, except theirs also include the spacesuit. Yeah. Uh, for and my stuff, I, I, I can... I, created like a fluidic metal that you basically pull up over your your body and and it just bonds to your so that way you have you know plenty of fluid movement but you know it actually stops lasers Um, yeah that's what the 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 mass effect one is supposed to basically be like an iron man suit but in your shoulders and i love that like that kind of fluidity is is really cool to me and i know ds9 can't be held to that standard because they didn't have that cgi ability or like I, I like honestly, this is the frustrating thing with going back to these old shows. Where are these guys? Like, whatever their budget was, if you paid that same budget today, you could get a thousand times visually cooler at the same cost. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's awesome. I know, and, and, and that's, but no, I mean, that's, that's just, but that's, that just goes to show the timelessness of the show, the fact that, uh, that you still like it, you're still into it, but the only drawback is just the visuals, and that's what it was for people then, too, and it, it it's further proof that visuals are an important part, and so that's, that's the problem, but uh, I'm PD York, the Ryder Brothers, we'll see you next week.
This has been a presentation of the Ryder Brothers Tuesday Night Live Show. The Ryder Brothers, restoring respect into discourse.